0: We have been working through the book of Philippians. We have two weeks left, this week and next, before we jump into the series that Lisa mentioned in the announcements. This is part two of three in a series we're calling Unmovable. Today we're going to be talking about peace. And I want to know, uh, how many worriers do we have in the, in the, in the crowd today? You, you're like, I'm not raising my hand. I'm worried. I'm worried. I, don't to, I don't want to do that. Uh, but here's, here's the good news. Uh, you're not alone. Now, now maybe that just worries you more. Like, oh no, everybody worries. Like, and it's just this kind of unending vicious cycle. Um, But the Times Magazine did uh, did a study, or or, or, um, revealed a study that had been done by um, some smart scientists. And they said that there was, they, they looked into anxiety disorders, and they said that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States. The most common mental illness in the United States. In fact, they said that there are 40 million people That's 18% of all adults above the uh, the age of 18, one in five. That means in a room of this size, there's about 30 of us that should have raised our hands, according to this study, uh, suffering from some kind of anxiety disorder, and we're paying for it. $42 billion a year are spent... Um, on anxiety disorders it's a third of our ever-growing mental health bill. Now, you know, we could talk about mental illness and kind of where some of us stand on that or whatever, but the reality is um, there's a perception and real dollars are being spent on that. And then I, I thought about my own personal life. Okay, this is just this is helpful for me, guys. This is just kind of therapeutic to talk through some of my issues. I have self-diagnosed um, have, uh, that I have the—it's called ophidiophobia, uh, which is a real thing. It's the fear of snakes. Okay, anybody here identify with that? Um, I remember all—I mean, I don't do this anymore, of course. But uh, when I was younger, before I'd even—I'd go to the bathroom, and before I would ever—I would open the toilet like, "Is there?" possibly a snake in there and I don't know what I was expecting especially living in Alaska but uh, (laughs) there's this like spring-loaded jack-in-the-box from Hades that just kind of pop out of the piping and kill me. It was terrifying and then I went to Brazil uh, one summer on a mission trip where there are snakes and I was just beside myself. I wouldn't even walk on the grass. I would like just comb it over like a crime scene. I remember one night I had to spend the night in a hammock and I, I think I slept for maybe two minutes the entire night. I just had was convinced that some python was gonna come slithering down the tree and end me. And and, and you know, and maybe you know there's different areas of life that we worry about. Maybe it's I mean financial. I mean I know first year here, senior pastor, lead pastor, whatever, kind of in charge of the budget, and we were coming down the stretch there uh, to the end of our fiscal year, and things were looking tight, and I'm thinking, oh no, it's financial doomsday. They're going to fire me in my first year. We're not going to make it, and of course, God steps in, and he provides, and he just looks at me like, you knucklehead, Um, and we worry. We worry about our kids, how, how, how are our kids going to turn out? What, where, what are our kids going to do with their lives? What are they going to believe? We worry about our spouse. We worry about our, our jobs, our health. We worry about our image. And, and like Charlie Brown, uh, who said, my anxieties have anxieties. Like sometimes we worry about the fact that we worry so much. It's kind of this meta level of worry. And it can just spiral out of control. Um, the British Prime, Prime Minister Winston Churchill, um, he said this, he goes, when I look back on all these worries, I remember the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which had never happened. There's an interesting study that was done, it was led by uh, this guy named Walter Carver, sounds like a smart guy, and this is what what the study revealed. He said, only eight percent of our worry only 8% of our worry is over legitimate concerns. I mean, 92% of what we are freaking out about is unnecessary. And they kind of broke it down. 40% of the things we worry about never actually happen, okay? So almost half the things we f- we're stressing about don't, don't happen. Uh, 30% are past matters that are now beyond our control. We can't do anything about them anyway. 12% are health-related concerns that are purely imagined. You know what he's talking about, right? Like, Is that supposed to be that color? Because I don't think that's supposed to be that color, right? And we just start losing it. Um, and ten percent of our worries are about other people and again finding it in the category of things that never happen or are purely imagined. So only eight percent of the things the study showed are, are legitimate. So if, if most of our worry is practically unnecessary, why are we freaking out so much? Well, another study, and I promise we will get to the Bible. Dr. Stephen Diamond he said, first and foremost, we fear the future. We we fear the unknown. Okay, we don't know what's going to happen, and that freaks us out. He said, we worry about what will happen to us, our family, our partner, our business, and he kind of goes down the line, and he says, we, we freak out about these things. And, and, and here's kind of why. He said, so much of what we worry about has to do with losing what we have. So so we don't know what's coming tomorrow and we're afraid that the things that we have, the things that we value, the things that we treasure are going to be lost on us in one of two ways. He says, either through making some mistaken choice or via the vagaries of fate. In other words, something could happen to the things that we care about and it's either going to happen because of a dumb choice that we make or even worse, something that happened that's out of our control. In other words... And, and kind of put this in terms of the believer, the, our, our, the root cause of worrying about these future unknowns it, it, it lies in, in, in believing the lie that it was ours to control in the first place. It, it's a control issue. I, I'm all stressed out because I've got to run the universe. And that's a taxing job, right? That's above my pay grade. And so if... I check the toilet every time I go to the bathroom for the snake. And if I continue to worry about and stress over the financial crisis of our church, why my pit stains are growing, if I constantly hound my children to make sure that they're on the straight and narrow, it's control, it's control, it's control. And we freak out because we're not sure if we're going to be successful in controlling our lives or worse yet, something's going to happen tomorrow to the things that we care about, and we can do nothing about it. So Paul's going to show us this morning in verses 6 through 9 that there is peace for the, wor- for the worrier, that there is a solution, and it involves the surrendering of this illusion of control to the one who really has it. And we're going to look, we're going to take this this walk this morning, this path that's going to hopefully, Lord willing, take us from worry to worship. And along the path, this is kind of how we're going to walk together. The first thing is we acknowledge the problem. There's a problem and it's called worry. Uh, The prescription is prayer. That's the prescription we have lined out for us. The promise on the other side of it is peace. And the program, the way that we walk through this is through right thinking and right living. So let's jump in. Uh, The words on the screen are NIV. If you have a different translation, God bless you. Uh, Verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Paul says, do not be anxious or do not worry. Okay, it's synonymous about anything. But we do need to say here that there's a difference between not caring and not worrying okay? He's not saying don't care about anything. He's not talking about apathy, because some of us in here are going, I'm not worried about anything, okay? Well, that's a sin. You need to repent of your apathy, okay? That's not what he's addressing. What he's addressing is the worry, the anxiety, freaking out about these things, And, and here's what he says. The first word on the subject is don't. Stop it. Knock it off. Don't worry. If you're worrying, you need to change, you need to repent, you need to stop. Now, now that doesn't mean that we don't, we're not honest with God, that, that things do overwhelm us, that we do face that anxiety. I'm not saying we pretend, but what he's saying here is often we make ourselves victims of anxiety. Well, we're suffering from anxiety. When Paul says, no, anxiety is a sin that needs to be repented of. And inherently, as we said, anxiety comes from the belief, the lie that we are in control. And what's that? That's pride. That's pride and that's sin. So he says don't. But here's the solution. He doesn't just say stop it and then not give us a way out. The prescription is prayer. He says do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. So Paul's solution to worry and anxiety is prayer. And he's going to give us three words, kind of three areas that we can come to God in prayer. The first one is we adore. It's adoration. This word that Paul uses first for prayer, it's this general word uh, for prayer that means adoration or devotion or worship. He says the first step on the path from worry to worship, for, to worship is a right view of God. Warren Wearsby Warren said it better. He said whenever we find ourselves worrying, our first action, the first step ought to be to get alone with God and freak out right? No, I I got that wrong. And worship him. Adoration is needed. To adore God. And this is what that means. We must see the greatness and majesty of God. We must realize that he is big enough to solve our problems. Too often we rush into his presence and hastily tell him our needs when we ought to approach his throne calmly and in deepest reverence. So what Wearsby is saying here is we don't come to God just, hey God, I got this whole list, right? The honeydews, right? Here's all the things that I need you to do for me. He says, that's not how this path gets started. It comes by first, how often do we stop? When we're in the midst of freaking out, how often do we just stop and acknowledge God and think about him rightly? For instance, consider the universe, okay? (laughs) That's easy. The edge of the known universe, and I emphasize known, what we know, what we've seen, is 45 billion light years away. Okay. Now, for reference, if you wanted to go to the moon, that's 1.3 light seconds away. So to go to the edge of just what we know exists would take 45 billion years, light years. That's 225 trillion actual people years. If you wanted to just get to the end, but here's the problem, If, if that wasn't hard enough the universe is actually expanding. And not only is it expanding, but it's accelerating, meaning it's expanding faster and faster. So from where we're standing right here in the gym, the farthest we could get is 16 billion light years away. Because at that point, the universe has just been accelerating and expanding faster than we could keep up. Okay, so, so in other words, there are many, many, most of the universe we couldn't even travel to, and God spoke it into existence with a word. And he controls every square inch of it. And in fact, Proverbs 15, thinking about that concept, this is a cooler verse. He says, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. <laughs> There's nowhere that God doesn't see, that God doesn't control. And, and, and we just know of this universe. Who knows? There could be other universe. I get the conspiracy theorists talking here. Um, but the first, first of all, seeing the immensity of the universe should remind us man, it's not about us. Like I am not, contrary to my own opinion, I'm not the center of the universe. The heavens declare his majesty. They praise him. It's not about me. It's all pointing to the glory of the one who made it. And then back to us. So if God sees, if he controls this entire universe, You really think that he looks down in the palm of his hand where earth is and he sees my little problem and he's like, oh no, I don't know man, like I don't know how to help you there, that's a big one, (laughs) you know, I mean, we gotta start with the right perspective of God and who he is. And when we properly see God, that he is sovereign over all things, our worry starts to melt away. Why do we need to freak out when we know the one who is in control of it all? We got to turn over the keys. We got to turn over the keys. The second thing we we adore, second thing is we ask. This word petition, uh, it can also, maybe in your translation it says supplication, um, simply put it, it, says, it's the earnest sharing of our needs and problems. So this petition word, it's this simply saying, help me. That's all he, he says. You, you acknowledge, and remember in chapter two of this book, uh, Paul talks about humility. This is the humility to, to acknowledge the fact that we need help. That we need help and there is someone out there who is able and willing to help us. So at first we adore him rightly and then we come to the one and we're just honest with him. I need this. God, this is where I'm at and this is what I need from you or at least what I think I need of you. And then the third step is, is to appreciate. Or the word in the NIV is, is thanksgiving. And again, thanksgiving reflects humility. Like when you say thank you to someone, what does that imply? That they did something for you. And when it comes to God, it's acknowledging that he did something for us that we couldn't do on our own. And so we come to him and we say, thank you. You remember the story about, um, in Luke, uh, the story about the ten lepers? There's these ten lepers that Jesus heals, okay, miraculously heals. And they're these outcasts, not only because they're lepers, but they was even worse. They were Samaritan lepers, okay, the worst of the worst. And so he heals them. Well, the ten are healed, but, but one, only one comes back to say, thank you. And it's so interesting what Jesus says to him. He goes, hey, didn't I heal ten? He goes, where are the other nine guys? He's in grades. And what he says is he goes, no one has returned to give glory to God except one. In other words, when, when we say thank you, we are giving glory where glory is due. to the the one who did it. And and I think we we are so, I am, I can speak for myself, I'm so eager to ask God for things, but I'm very, very slow to say thank you for the things that he's done for me. And I don't know what your prayer life looks like. I know for me a lot of times it's just sort of this laundry list of people or of things in my life. And God, this person needs that. And I need this. And we kind of just always come asking for things. But we never stop to appreciate, to say thank you, to give glory to God for all that he's done. And Paul says if you want peace, it's it's only going to come from a right view of God. And when we have a right view of God, we have everything to be thankful for and nothing to worry about. And then he says, here's the promise. So if you adore him, you ask him, come to him with your needs, and then you appreciate the things he's done, here's the promise, is you get peace. You get peace. He says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word here, and the thing that he offers us is peace, which I love the Greek, one of the definitions is a quiet rest. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, freaking Out about uh, bad guys, right? When you were a little kid and you're laying in bed at night, you're just you're I was convinced that someone was gonna come and burgle our house. Like it was just going to happen. So and I don't know why they would target the children's pastors' place, right? If they're into a bunch of off-brand chips, potato chips, we got a plenty of those. Come on in. Um so but like we said, eight percent of our fears are rational, right? So so this, so I'm afraid that this burglar's gonna come. What do I do? I jump out of bed, I run over to mom and dad's room, knock, 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 let me in, let me in, the burglars are coming, right? So they come on, you know, I'm sure they loved that at 2.30 in the morning. They just wanted, they just couldn't wait to talk to me about bad guys, um, having me spend the night with them. And so I would jump into bed, in between the two of them, under the covers. <sighs> Quiet, rest, peace, right? I mean, who's going to po- penetrate this wall of protection right? Superman and super mom. Like, and I, I love how you've got in your mind, like, your parents could just take down anybody. Like, there's no way these bad guys are going to be able to fight mom and dad. Like, they're the best. You lose. Sorry, bad guys. And, and that's, this is what God's peace does. He says, jump and snuggle in, and I will protect you. I will guard you, is what he says. Now, now it's important to note, so important to note, guard us from what? It is not saying he's going to guard us from bad things happening. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Christians get robbed too, right? Bad things happen to Christians too. We get sick. We die. We get hurt. We go broke. He's not saying that the peace of God is going to guard you from anything negative or what we would perceive as negative from happening in your life. So what is he saying that we're going to be guarded from? Well, context. What did he just say in verse 6? He's talking about anxiety. He says the peace of God is going to guard us from freaking out. He's going to guard us with the quiet rest that says, yes, you will have trouble. But I'm in control. I'm in control and you can trust me. And what he says here, and I love this, he says it, he guards our hearts and our minds, and I think this is so important. God guards our thoughts, and he guards our heart, which in, in, in the Hebrew mindset, the, the, the heart was the seat of emotions. So God is going to protect us emotionally, and he's going to protect us intellectually. And in fact, and, and I really love this part, he says, the peace that passes all understanding okay? So, so what he's saying here is, listen, it's not going to make sense. Like, you're going to be looking at your life, and from a human perspective, looking at your circumstance, you said, I should be freaking out right now. And all I can tell you is that the peace of God is guarding my heart and my mind. And it's a walk of faith. It, it, it surpasses our own capacity to understand why it is that we're not losing our minds. And then the most important part is that little phrase at the end, He'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You remember from last week, we said we stand our ground. We are unmovable. The reason we don't have to be afraid is because Jesus already won the battle. He already took out sin and death and the world. And And Satan, we have nobody left to fight. We have nothing else to be scared of. Because Jesus paid it all. And because Jesus rose again to victory and we stand our ground in the victory. He won For us and then the last thing so what's the program how do we flesh this out it's right thinking and it's right living we want to first look at right thinking he wraps up he starts to you can see here he's starting to to slow he's trying to shut this puppy down verse 8 he goes finally okay we're wrapping this thing up finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things so he says, how we, how we move in this direction, is, 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 it all comes down to what, are, what is in our thoughts. And in Isaiah, Isaiah connects this idea of peace and thinking. He says in Isaiah 26, I believe this is the New Living, I didn't put that up there, you will keep in, per- he, uh, will keep in perfect peace all who trust you, and what does that look like? All whose thoughts are fixed on you. He says, when your thoughts are fixed on him, you're going to be experiencing him keeping you in perfect peace. The two are tied together. And and in in that vein, Paul calls us in Corinthians. He says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So here's our part. He says, if you're thinking something and it's not something that's true, it's not something that's honorable, it's not something that is of God, that you're not seeing things from his perspective, he goes, take that thing captive capture it take it under control and make it obedient to Christ to fix your thoughts on him so so how do we do this he goes think about these things whatever is true we said last week that the battle the real battle is not against other human beings it's about it's the truth versus lies and we saw and we know this Jesus pointed out that the captain of these lies he said he satan is a liar and the father of lies Okay, and, and this is, we saw this in the garden. When, when Satan comes to Eve in the form of the serpent, what does he do? How does he fight her? He goes, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You see what he did there? He starts questioning God and starts to get Eve to question if, if God, if the truths about God, that he has her best interest in mind, that he's telling her the truth. And then she goes, Eat for, he says, "For eat from any tree of the garden. Well, that's, that's not what God said, is it? He said, you can't eat from the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't say any tree. So he starts to twist the truth to get her to believe and walk in the lies. And we know what happened. And so, so how do we combat this? Well, Jesus said in John, he goes, sanctify them, which means set them apart, make them holy, grow them. How? By the truth. What's the truth? How do we know in this world, this, this relative world that we live in today, where everyone's questioning truths and the realities that we've held for many years, he goes, your word is truth. How do we know what's true? God revealed it to us in his word. And that's the standard. Now you go, well, I'm just a little human. I don't understand the Bible. It's confusing. It's hard for me. He says, I got, a, I got a helper. Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay? He says, John 14, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And who's that person he sent to us? The Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit's job. It's so cool. We actually get God inside of us. In John 16, he says he guides you into all truth. That so The Spirit is going to guide us, to, to point us toward what is true, and as we open the Word, he's going to help make sense of it to us. He's going to grow us in it. He's going to help us believe and walk in the things that are true. We're not left to our own devices. He's never going to ask anything from us that he's not going to carry us through by his grace and power. And so he gives us the Holy Spirit, and, and And this is the thing that's so important, guys. We cannot give the lies a microphone. We need to take them captive. And how we do that is by thinking about what's true. And and I think one area that we lack in is we we don't claim the specific promises of God. Like, we're kind of like, yeah, I kind of have this vague idea of the truth and but if we don't know the word if we don't when there's a specific lie that comes to us we need to attack it with specific truth so if we're questioning is god really there like is he really there for me is he really on my side we claim the specific truth of hebrews 13:5 god has said never will i leave you never will i forsake you so if we're feeling forsaken if we're feeling abandoned we claim the specific truth that he said right here in his word on my laptop Never will I leave you. Never, ever, ever will I forsake you. Or maybe we're saying, well, he's there, but does he actually care? Is he for me? We claim the specific truth of 1 Peter 5. Cast all your what? Anxiety, all your worry upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. What if I don't feel like God cares for me? I claim the specific truth of scripture that tells me he cares for me. And that's the ground that I stand on. Not my emotions, not my perception of God. What God has told me about himself and his word. He says, think about what is true. Then the next thing he says is whatever is honorable. And I love this. um, Matt Chandler, he talked about, uh, he's a pastor in um, Dallas, Texas. And he talked about this image that he has in his mind and he said, I, I, I can't wait, and he's picturing this, when I'm 90 years old, sitting on the back porch with my wife, drinking coffee, and we're talking about the salvation of our grandchildren. That's thinking about what's honorable. And he said, because this is why, this is why those kind of thoughts are so important. He, he's the pastor of a very successful, fast-growing church. And he says, there are many women who will come up to him, attractive, flirtatious. I, I totally get it. Um, <laughs> and he says, there's these images that come into my mind or try to come into my mind that are dishonorable. And he says, oftentimes in the battle of the mind, we fight image with image. Image. And he says, this honorable image of sitting on the back porch with my wife talking about the salvation of our grandkids, that will come into harm's way if I give in to this dishonorable image that's trying to penetrate the mind. Think about what's honorable. And we could go through the list. We don't have time this morning, but what's pure and right and lovely and admirable. You, you, see where, you see the pattern where Paul's going. But he says, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, in other words, it's not just don't think bad thoughts. The Christian life is not about thinking, don't think about the bad things, stop it. Or, or even like, well, it's not a terrible thing. It's a pretty decent thing. It's what's excellent and praiseworthy. What? This is the question we should be asking. What is the most God-exalting, christ exalting thing that I could be thinking about. That's what should consume my thoughts. And right thinking, if we're going to think rightly, it's going to come from the daily meditation on the Word of God. To spend our time in what is true, thinking about, reading about what is true. And this is what Psalm 119 David says. He goes, those who love your instructions... Those who love your word have what? Great peace and do not stumble. If we want peace in our lives, then we've got to love, not just know, but love God's word so we can claim these specific truths to fight those specific lies. And then the last thing here is, is, is right living. So he goes, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And what? The God of peace will be with you. If we want to know God's peace, if we want to know his presence, We've got to walk in. We've got to practice these things. It's not enough just to know them in our heads. We've got to live them out. We need to practice what is not natural. We need to practice what is not natural. When I was coaching, I had this kid, this basketball kid. Well, he he didn't have an athletic bone in his body, okay? He was like Bambi with Nikes. And when in first day of practice, he comes and he does this like layup and it looked like he was having a seizure. Like I'm like, are you okay? (laughs) Like what is You know, and and so we needed to practice what was not natural to him over and over again. Inside foot, outside knee, you know, eyes up, balls on a string over and over and over again. And I had some kids who came onto the floor and they were very natural. The Smithwick boys. Like, I, I swear they came out of the womb with a crossover move. Like, they just, like, they knew it. They were, they was just come natural to them. We are not like that. We don't naturally pray about everything. We don't naturally think what's right. We don't naturally think about God instead of these things. And so we need to do them. We need to practice them. And, and here's one way that we can do this. Um, and this has been really helpful, I let the New Living Translation, it's a really helpful translation to me, and and it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And then this is how it it breaks it down for us in verse 6. Tell God what you need, and thank him for what he has done. So this is a way we can put this into practice. We can tell God what we need, and thank him for what he's done. So I challenge you with this. This week, two lists. The first list is what I need. Now we come to him and we just are simply honest. God, I need this. I need this. I need this. And, and, and now what we're going to find as we start doing that to God, thinking about him first, we're going to start seeing some of these things really aren't needs. They might be more wants uh, or, or things that we realize that we didn't need as much as we thought we needed. It kind of helps refine what we would define as need. But then the next thing he says is thank him for all that he has done. And I challenge you. Start listing out all the things that God has done for you, all the things that God is for you, and all that he is that we have to be thankful for. And as we start thinking about that list, we're living this out. We're thinking about the things that are true and honorable and lovely and admirable. And if a thought comes into your mind throughout the week that could it make that list, then we need to take it captive. We should not be thinking about that. There was once this pilot, and we'll, we'll, we'll land the plane here. There was once this pilot um, who was making this flight around the world, and he was two hours out from his last, where he had just left from, where he had taken off. And as he's in the air, he hears this noise, this chewing noise. And he realizes as he's hearing this noise that it's a rat, now, th- besides just being gross, um, the rats are also, they're, they're really destructive in airplanes, they'll chew through, uh, you know, important cords and things that, you know, keep the plane in the air. And so, uh, he, 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 he's two hours away from where he was supposed to be landing next, and, and two hours from where he had taken off from. So, really, either way, I mean, he's just nowhere where he can easily land. So, he starts freaking out. He starts to worry. Until he remembers, it's a rat. And, and I guess, and this is just the story, I'm not a Expert in any of these areas, um, that apparently rats can't handle high altitudes. So, what does he do? He climbs, goes up to 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 feet, and the rat dies. Problem solved. And here's, here's the, the application that he makes worry is a rodent, it cannot live in the secret place of the Most High. It cannot breathe in the atmosphere made vital through prayer and familiarity with scripture. Worry dies when we ascend to the Lord through prayer and his word. He says, when we worry, we're looking down here on this human plane and we're seeing things from our perspective. So when we start to worry, he says, go up. And go to God, adore God, okay? Come and ask God for the things you need, appreciate the things He's done, think about what's right and true and lovely. And He says, when you ascend to Him, talking to Him, thinking about the things that are true in His Word, He says, the worry dies. The worry can't live up there where God is because the battle has been won. If we wanna truly become unmovable, if, if we wanna, when it comes to the problem of worry, be able to stand firm in the victory of Jesus. The prescription is prayer. And the the program is to to think right and to live right. And that promise is God's peace. We snuggle in with him. He says, I'm going to guard you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And we get this peace that passes all of our understanding. Let's pray. Father, it is very human uh, to worry. Uh, Each of us face things in our lives that are hard and that on a human level uh, it's very understandable why we would freak out about them, why we would stress about them, why we would worry over them but God you told us in your word to not worry and we've got to take you at your word and so if there's anybody here including myself that needs to repent of the anxiety in their life that they would not wait until tomorrow to do so But that in that change of mind, the beautiful process is not just stopping the bad thought, but it's turning to you. And I pray that we would be a people that would adore you properly. And as we walk into this worship, that our thoughts would be fixed on you so that you would keep us with your peace. God, may we be a people, may we be a people who claim the specific promises of the word That we walk in the victory that Jesus has won for us. That we might know peace. That we might know the God of the universe. And that your peace would guard us in Christ Jesus. It's in his name, this beautiful name that we pray. Amen.